And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Pastor Al Baker. He's with the Presbyterian Evangelistic Fellowship. He's an evangelistic preacher that travels around preaching God's Word to the various areas of this country and even the world. Pastor Al, it's great to have you with us. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be with you as well. We had quite an interesting week this past week with the election, and I was wondering, uh, before we get started today on on the the details of (laughs) um, evangelism and the application of God's Word to people's hearts, uh, any comments about the election? Yes, uh, I was I was thrilled uh, with Donald Trump's election. I, I realize that even in the church, there's division over the issue. I have uh, I have very very faithful, fervent believers in Christ who said they just could not vote for Donald Trump, and I you know I I, I respect that, but I I just felt to me that um, that we that we really needed to have him elected and. You know, I, I look at our nation, and, and we are a wicked nation. Uh, you know, we've yes. got um, 60 million abortions. We've got uh, same-sex marriage now. We've got uh, uh, all manner of difficulties in our nation. We've got a weakening geopolitical uh, situation. And uh, But my prayer has been for some time that uh, Habakkuk's prayer, Lord, in your wrath, would you remember mercy? Amen. You know, in other words, Lord, we deserve your wrath, no question. But would you be merciful to us? And I feel like Donald Trump's election buys us some time. Um, He is not our Savior. We don't put our hope and trust in princes and kings. We put our trust in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the Lord Jesus. But it gives us some time to... um, uh, you know, to go out and preach the gospel. Uh, I tell you, I, I really I really thought like he would win. I've, I've been saying that for three or four months. And to me, it was it's very similar to the 1980 election with Ronald Reagan over Jimmy Carter. You know, we had that massive uh, double-digit inflation, double-digit mortgage rates. Uh, we'd lost um, favor in the world. Uh, militarily, we were weak. On and on and on it went. And uh, and Reagan was an outsider. Everybody thought he was crazy and he was stupid and everything else. And and I just kind of felt like there was a there was a you know majority of people out there who just saw through everything. But here's what I saw: when he was elected, a lot of us rejoiced, but it did not turn back Roe v. Wade. Yes, we continued to move down uh, a downward slide away from the Lord. Then you might remember 1994, the off-year election with the contract with America, um, and the Republicans gained a majority in the House and Senate. And I remember vividly Christians all excited about that, that we were going to take this nation back. But but I, I, I was saying to people, look, this is all about economics. This is not really about moral righteousness. So I'm not that optimistic, you know, that it's going to make any moral changes in our nation, and of course it didn't. And so the point is, is that, yes, politics is important, absolutely. But at the end of the day, what's got to happen is there's got to be a change of heart. And the only way people's hearts are going to be changed is by the, by the gospel. Hmm. The Lord Jesus changes people's hearts. He takes out the rebellious heart that loves sin, that hates God. He gives the heart that loves Christ loves God and hates sin. That's what we need. 
and that comes only through preaching the Word, mm. evangelistic preaching, one-on-one, in the church, in the streets. That's what's got to happen. Yeah. Well, this is so refreshing to hear you talk, uh, Pastor Al. God has given us a period of time, it seems, here. I don't want to presume upon his sovereign plans, but right, it, it right. appears that he's given us a period of time to uh, repent of our sins as a nation, yes. to to yes. hear him speaking through his his word preached. Um, mm-hmm. As you as you minister to people in America and in various places around the world, uh, the word of God is absolutely primary to your ministry. Can you explain how God uses his word? And maybe even today, uh, a listener will say, what is this all about? And God will use the word even today. Yes. Uh, what, we, what we find today uh, a lot of times is we, we live in such a hostile culture to biblical Christianity that, that pastors and, and uh, laymen and so forth you know, they really want to reach their lost neighbors and friends uh, who do not believe the Bible, who've rejected it and just think it's it's just mindless for anybody to believe the Bible. And so the temptation is is to try to come at it, to come at the gospel evangelistic work uh, in another way, you know, like to speak about, well, you know, it's uh, homosexuality is not good for human flourishing, so we shouldn't do that, or... You know, you really maybe ought not uh, be involved in um, adultery because it kind of ruins families. And, and all those things are true, of course. But it's not, but I think there's a lack of confidence by many in simply using the Bible. The Bible is truth, the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It pierces the division of soul and, and spirit, of joint and marrow, is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the human heart. And so I really believe that we have to use the Word. The Word has authority. I, I have no authority in myself. I, you know, my stories, my anecdotes, my illustrations, you know, those are okay, but there's no power in those things. There's no, there's no authority. The authority is the Word of God. Repeatedly, Jesus says, it is written. The prophet said, thus saith the Lord. And when John the Baptist was before Herod and was... was um, taking Herod the task for having an adulterous relationship with Herodias, he said, it is not lawful for you to have her. Mm. He didn't say, it's not good for your uh, children, it's not good for your king kingdom. He didn't say, he said, it is not lawful. And he meant the law of God, the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's what he meant, that's what he said. And I think that's what we have to do. And obviously, in order for that to work, there's got to be the ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit of God has to move in the hearts of people to bring about that conviction, which means, of course, that we must pray. Unless unless the Holy Spirit works, nothing's going to happen, so we must be moved to earnest prayer. Mm. Uh, and, and God will thus go before us and empower His Word to bring conviction. Sometimes that conviction brings uh, brings conversion. Sometimes people gnash their teeth and they run in the opposite direction. But whenever Jesus preached, and when the apostles and prophets preached, people were not ambivalent. They either loved it or they hated it, one of the two. Mm, yes. 
I want to go out on a limb here just a little bit, and uh, hopefully our listeners will understand where I'm coming from. Um, We're talking with Pastor Al Baker. He comes from a Presbyterian background. Sometimes, Pastor Al, people who don't understand uh, the background of the Reformed faith, and really, if you're a Protestant Christian, your heritage is the Protestant Reformation, um, particularly in the area of... um, tough biblical doctrines like election, they misrepresent or misunderstand and then misrepresent those of us who believe in election and say, oh, it's just all fate, you know, you guys. But you're talking about active evangelistic preaching, relying on the Holy Spirit of God to draw people to himself and just miraculously, really, seeing God work in such a way that it gets us back to our roots, the the great uh-huh. revival heritage that was in and is still in some Presbyterian and Reformed churches, solid Reformed theology, evangelistic passion. Um, have you found people that really misunderstand what the biblical faith is all about? Yeah, I really have, Dan. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, it, people have caricatures, of uh, of a Presbyterian Reformed faith, and again, they think we're fatalistic. They think that, oh, you believe in the doctrine of election, so then that means that, uh, you know, they're going to get saved anyway, so you don't have to, to do anything. You know, there's an amazing balance in the Scriptures, and we have to always be balanced. It's so easy to uh, to lose sight of that. You know, for example, in Romans 8, Paul's clearly talking about the doctrine of election. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed in the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Whom he foreknew, these he also called. To whom he called, these he also justified. To whom he justified, these he also glorified. So there it is. There's no question the Bible teaches the doctrine of election, that God chooses people to be his before the foundation of the world, not based on anything God sees in them. In spite of our sin and weakness, he chooses some. Now, you come to Romans chapter 9, and Paul develops it even further in taking up the issue of the Jews and why so many of them had not believed. He says um, that God has mercy on whom he has mercy, and he'll harden whom he hardens. And he says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, quoting Malachi. But after laying that out in Romans 8 and 9, then Paul comes to Romans 10. And he says, if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For man believes with his heart and so is justified and confesses with his lips and so is saved. And he goes on to say, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they see a scent? How beautiful are the mountain of the feet of him who brings good news. In other words, on the one hand, yes, by all means, God elects people unto salvation. On the other hand, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. So that begs, that begs the question, okay, well, how do we put that together? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I can't put it, I can't put it together. Right. It's uh it's what theologians sometimes call an antinomy, uh, an apparent contradiction, but there's there's a number of them in the Bible. For example, Jesus we know is 100% God. But he's 100% man too. How can that be? I don't know. Mhm. Um 
again, human responsibility and divine sovereignty. How do you put them together? I don't know. The Bible is God's Word, but men wrote it. How can this be? I don't know. They're both true. So we just hold them in balance. And practically what that means is that we must go. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, go to to the 70 that he sent them out. He says, go into the towns and cities where I sent you. I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Go out and preach the gospel. And that's what you find the apostles doing. So we go, and we trust the Lord to open the hearts of people. Let me give you what a good example. I was at a university last spring. I was preaching in the open air for two days. And uh, this was a very liberal university, and there was about 50 or 60 students at least that just sat there for hours listening, and some of them were arguing and that kind of thing. But there was a young man that was there both days, and you could tell he was very interested. And um, he told me that he was an atheist. Anyway, we struck up uh, a friendship over Facebook. We've continued to, to, to communicate. Um, he's now, uh, I, I said, look, you need to start reading the Bible. I answer any questions. We've kind of communicated uh, back and forth. He told a friend of mine the other day, that he's now going to a, co- a college ministry there on campus, and it may be that he's been converted. I don't know yet. We'll see. <laughs> but, but this happens a lot. So we just go, and we trust the Lord to, to lead us to people who are open and receptive. We don't know who they are. But we believe they're out there. And again, in Acts 18, Paul's distressed. He's, uh, he's discouraged. Um, he's made his way down to Corinth. There's been great opposition in Macedonia and in Athens, very few believed. And, um, and the Lord Jesus appeared to him in the night and said, Paul, do not be afraid any longer. Go on preaching the gospel. No one will attack you or harm you, for I have many people in this city. Mm. Paul, people will believe. Just go and preach. And that's our motivation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Word of God, is, uh, it says, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So you have seen the Word of God do its work. Um, Before you got into this phase of your life of of evangelistic preaching, you also, I believe, uh, planted the uh, church there in West Hartford some years ago, and you were a senior pastor. And um, God certainly use the word there as well as as now in evangelistic preaching. Yes, that's right. When we went to Connecticut, uh, first of all, we absolutely loved that church, my wife and I. That that was our favorite church that we served, and we'd always been involved in church planting. And, and uh, you know, they're just wonderful people. And um, we started with a group of about six families, uh, six couples. And uh, when we got them together, I said, now listen, The people here in West Hartford, it was a very liberal community, maybe 1% evangelical in all the state of Connecticut, very, uh, very liberal um, in uh, philosophy of life and everything. And I said, listen, they're not buying what we're selling. Um, We're not going to make it if we don't, if we don't reach people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and so that means we've got to, first of all, pray and then we must evangelize. Mm -hmm. And we were able to do that, and, you know, we were there about nine years, and we saw God do some wonderful things, and 
God brought us all kinds of conversions. You know, it was it was all kinds of people too. It was African American people. We had uh, about twelve African American high school football players who came to the Lord. Mm-hmm. We're in our ministry. We had, you know, a number of uh, people from Africa. We had uh, people from uh, Latin America. We had people from Asia. We had, you know, majority uh, white culture people. You know, we had everything there, and it was mm-hmm. beautiful. And that's really the way the church ought to be. Oh, it's wonderful. And can you talk to us a little bit about how God gifts individuals, some of the variety of gifts you've seen? Now, not everybody can do what you do in terms of preaching. Um, can you help us better appreciate that? Yeah, you know, there's a, there, Paul particularly, uh, in a number of places in the Scriptures, lists spiritual gifts. He does in Ephesians 4, he does in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 and so forth. And um, so there's a lot of different gifts. It seems to me that there's at least three major ministry gifts that God uh, uses in each church, um, and these need to be working together. Uh, one would be evangelism, another one would be teaching or preaching, another one would be uh, showing deeds of mercy. And I believe that, that every Christian uh, has one of these, perhaps to a lesser degree. Um, for example, you know, R.C. Sproul, of course, is an amazing teacher. He's got a he's got a teaching gift. Someone else may have that same teaching gift, but not to the degree that he does. So God gifts people, and then uh, then to the degree of that gift as well. Mm-hmm. But we need all three of those gifts working together. And uh, you know, it's true. That I don't think there's a whole lot of evangelists, but there's but every church you know, needs one or two or three at least. And uh, and then the people who have maybe teaching gifts, they might be, you know, they might be good at one-on-one. They might be a counselor. They might yeah. be a Sunday school teacher. They might be a good uh, small group leader. It doesn't have to be a preacher, you know, as such. Um, and then the mercy ministry gifts. And, and when these things are working together, then you've got a very, very healthy church. The tendency, it seems to me, at least in Presbyterian reform circles, from which I come, is that we're pretty strong on the teaching, preaching side of things. I think we attract men who really have a theological bent, and they enjoy that, and that's good. It's very important. Sure. But um, we tend to be weak in evangelism. In a church that's strong in teaching, but weak in evangelism, will be a sterile church. Yes. Uh, that is, they, they, they really can't reproduce. Um, you know, and we don't tend to reach people who are different than us. A church, on the other hand, that's strong in evangelism but not teaching or preaching is going to be shallow. And uh, so that just kind of gives you an idea of how the gifts can vary. Do you ever find in a church, um, maybe you come across this in evangelistic preaching as you visit a church, that you sense that maybe there's a segment of the congregation that are maybe a bit too interested in power and control and that has the effect of stifling the spiritual health of a church? Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, uh, repeatedly in the Scriptures we find the the statement, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And leaders uh, are to be humble, they're to be servant leaders, whether it's a pastor, an elder, or whatever. And um, when when there's pride and... uh, you know, of lording over uh, other people, one's authority, 
then God's opposed to that, and God's not going to bless that church. And there's going to be division. There's going to be strife. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus said that if two or more agree on earth, then it will be done in heaven. And so there's got to be unity in, in the context of the church. And um, you know, a lot of times division comes from, from leaders um, over, you know, lording their authority over others. So it's very important that leaders walk humbly. You know, in Isaiah 57, the prophet says, uh, prepare the way, build up, build up, remove every obstacle out of the way of my people, says the Lord, the high and holy one who lives forever, whose name is holy. For I dwell in a high and holy place, and I dwell in the hearts of the lowly and contrite, to revive the spirits of the lowly, to revive the hearts of the contrite. Mm. So God says, clear all the mess out of the way. I'm in heaven, and I want to dwell with you. I want to be present in your ministry, but you've got to humble yourself. Mm. You've got to be brokenhearted over your sin. Seems like we need to um, adopt a uh, perspective, too, that that uh, the writer to the book of Revelation had, where he says, uh, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Amen. And where God, Amen. where finally someday uh, God will it'll, you know, help us see all the good that has happened in terms of his gospel going forth, men, women, boys, and girls coming to Jesus Christ, embracing them as their Savior. Amen. You know, I was in India last week, and I've been going twice a year, and uh, God is doing an amazing work amongst the Dalits. That's D-A-L-I-T, and that's uh, these are the outcasts, the, the lower caste or the total, totally outcast people of the culture. And that's, that's who I'm working with over there. And, um, you know, on, on the Sunday that I was there, I, I went to two different churches. And at one church, we baptized ten adults coming out of Hinduism. The other church, we baptized five adults. And one of the women who was baptized was 80 years old. Oh, wow. And, uh, they're, they're in, when they come to Christ, when they're baptized, First of all, once once they come to Christ, they give they give them training for several months before they let them get baptized. They want to make sure they're sincere. That's right. And they'll ask them questions like, "Do you do you renounce all other gods? Are you believing only in Jesus? Are you going to come to church? Are you going to tithe? You know, these are poor people, but they expect them to tithe. Yes. Are you going to tell people about Jesus? You know, oh, those wow. are the kind of questions they ask before they can be baptized. Yeah. And so God is, do- you're right, God is doing a great work all oh, over the world. It's beautiful. We need to be, be just rejoice in it. We've got maybe three minutes left. Uh, we opened by talking about the recent election results, and um, we don't want to be partisan. But what concerned me, and probably you as well, is, is the need to retain our our religious freedom so that we can uh-huh. so that we don't have big government in Washington coming down to our pulpits and deciding what we can preach and not preach. Yes, yes. Yes, absolutely and um I um I was very concerned uh prior to the election that our first amendment free speech rights were going to be eroded and I, yes. I'm still concerned about that but yes. Uh, you know, I, I preach on the in the open air a good bit, and um, 
you know, there are people now that are trying to stop us from doing that because they say it's hate speech. Mm. Now, you know, listen, there are some, there are some open-air preachers who are hateful. Mm. The Westboro Baptist Church people, that, that, that's oh, hateful, yeah. and that's, that's just dishonoring to the Lord. And, and those people, you know, they, they need to be quiet, okay? But even there, they, should have, they have the right to free speech, but it's, that's not helpful. But what, we're not talking about that. We're, what we're talking about is lifting up Jesus. Yes, we have to talk about sin, but even then, I don't get specific and talk about how God hates homosexuals or whatever. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't do that. You know, I just say, look, we're all sinners. Let me give you some good news. And that, that's what we need to do. But you're right. I think that, that what we now have is a, an opportunity to maintain our First Amendment rights or Second Amendment rights. And this is, you know, Trump is not our savior. We need to be very quick to understand that. This ought to move us even more to seek God for revival. Right. right. Uh, because that's what's going to change this nation. Yes. Amen. Well, in uh, the last 30 seconds remaining, can you encourage our listeners to uh, do exactly that and also to um, somehow get involved in evangelism? Yeah, I, I would say this, that um, that the first thing to do is to pray. I, I would urge the people to get a small group together and pray. And again, and again, I would love to be of help any way I can. I go around the country and lead weekends of revival prayer. It starts with prayer, and once once you're really praying and asking God to give you a burden for the lost, then you begin to have a, a heart change. Evangelism starts with the heart. It's a heart mm-hmm. issue. And once your heart is on fire for Jesus and you love people and you love those who need Christ, then I think he'll help you find a way to communicate him. And there's a lot of different ways to do it, but it starts with prayer. Amen. Amen. Today we've been talking with Pastor Al Baker. He's an evangelistic preacher. He works with Presbyterian Evangelistic Fellowship. And if you want to get a hold of uh, Al, just email us here at the station. We'll pass along your email to him. Our address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. Pastor Al, thank you so much for joining us today. Dan, it's been a pleasure. God bless you. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. 